We as a church are going on a great journey. We as a church family are going on this amazing journey that I've been preparing, and maybe you've been preparing, for months. In fact, if you didn't know, we have kind of an outline of where we're going, and there's a bunch of them on the back on the resource wall there. There's a list of kind of where we're going these next two years. Even though we are going to be traveling through many centuries of history and many countries, even th- those are mapped out for us on that little handout that we have here. Even though we're going to be traveling through all of this, each week we will arrive at our destination. Unlike other trips you take with your family, our goal is to get to this place. You're going every day to get to your goal. We're going to be traveling through centuries. We're going to be traveling through many countries, going through every place for two years, but every week we are going to arrive at our destination. Our destination is Jesus. Each week we'll arrive at Jesus as we know and come to worship Him and obey Him. And we're going to see this throughout the Old Testament. There's this call that God has. Know me. Worship me. And obey me. So I'm excited to go on this journey with you for two years. So before we begin, let's pray. Father God, I come before You and I thank You for this day. And I thank You that we were, even though it's just so bitter cold out, we were still able to get here and celebrate You. And as we go through today, just kind of the beginning of this, may our focus be You. I know my mind can be distracted. I'm thinking of the cars I need to fix. I'm thinking of the button that broke off on my shirt. Just all these other things that can be in my mind. Thank You for this warm building. And I pray that our focus will be You this morning. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen? Some people think that this book here is just a book. They think it's a collection of stories put together. 40 different authors. We have taken the last three weeks looking at how we can stand on the Word of God. It is trustworthy. If you've missed any of those Sundays, I encourage you to go online, listen to these sermons to help us understand that the Bible is true and trustworthy. But many people think that this is great talking about creation, the fall, different stories of redemption, and all these stories kind of come together and this story is about human drama. You want to know about the plight of humanity? Here's human drama right here in this book. Along with this mindset, many people in different ways arrive on the stage of human drama. Imagine if this was the stage of human drama. They show up as heroes or as villains in the story. Other parts like animals and locations are just props of the story of human drama in the Bible. They see, many that look at the Bible this way, they see that the story, this story, and show this drama is about us. Shakespeare was a great writer. I love reading a lot of Shakespearean stuff. And he had his 
performance done at this place called The Globe. And everything was about human drama, tragedy or comedy. But in reality, when you read Scripture, this is not about you. The main focus isn't about human drama. This is not our show. This is not our theater. For instance, Psalm 24, verse 1 says this, The earth is the Lord's, and all that is within it. So I wrote this down. This, contrary to many people thinking this is the theater of human drama, this is the theater of God. And the created world is a stage for God to show off His wonders. That's a foundation we must believe and understand. The sky, the earth, the seas, the creatures, all of that is for His glory. For His fame. It's not about us. It's about Him. The Bible contains God's story. And the main story is the drama and the working of God's saving work from the beginning to the end. The drama of creation, the drama of the fall and redemption is all about communicating to us something about God. And we should pay attention. So if you want, write this down. I I worked on this and wrote this down. In the drama of redemption... There is one stage, and that's the created world, the universe that God has created. There is one main character, and it's God. We're going to learn great stories as we go through the Old Testament. We're going to learn about Ruth. We're going to learn about Moses. But who's the main character? It's not us. It's God. He's the main character. And there's one focal figure. There's one main focus, and it's Jesus. All things, as we'll learn today, all things have been created for Him and by Him. This is all about Jesus. Often we get busy in church. I get busy in ministry. I get busy with paperwork. get busy with this and all these things. And sometimes I can forget, really, this is not all about this or this. This is all about, number one, Jesus. This is all about Jesus. Also, in the drama of redemption, there is one chief conflict. Man's pride and God's glory. These come face to face often. We'll see this throughout the Old Testament. We'll see this. That's why God calls prophets to wake people up out of their shame, out of their sin, and out of their pride against God's great glory and there's one principal predicament we cannot save ourselves we try all we can to look good i put my nice shirt on now i'm missing a button because it broke off it's just a hand warmer for this kind of a day right (laughs) we do all we can to say god look i'm approved because what i can do for you we all fail We cannot save ourselves. And there is one resolution. There is one thing that we see. The redemptive process 
reaching the climax at Jesus and the cross event. And we see this throughout all of the Old Testament. Again, many people think, and we'll see this throughout these two years, we'll be looking at this, many people think that the Old Testament is the Old Testament. God is a God of judgment and wrath. And then, God how sometimes some way changes in the New Testament, He's a God of grace and their salvation. We will see that in Genesis, right in the beginning, even at the fall, God is a God of grace. He's grace. And we will see there's a focus of Jesus right away. So I encourage you, write some of that down. Remember that as you go through the Old Testament. In fact, if you want, write that in the inside of your Bible. Because we, we can get distracted by different things. We can think, oh, this is about us. This is about Jesus. So who's the hero in many of these stories? God is the hero in the Old Testament. God is the hero in the New Testament. This is all about Him. I wrote this down. God is the hero of the Old Testament. Not, not Moses. There's a greater deliverer coming. We're going to take a lot of time looking at Exodus. Jesus is greater than Moses. Hebrews says that. Who brings us out of slavery by the way of the blood of the Lamb. Amen? I'm excited to get into Exodus leading right up to Easter. It's going to be beautiful. God is the hero of the story. Not Joshua. There's a greater conqueror coming. Jesus is greater than Joshua who conquers sin and death and He rescues people, sinners like myself and you. God is the hero of the Old Testament. Not David. There is a greater king coming. Jesus is greater than David. Who is unlike David and his kingdom. His kingdom will last forever. Amen? So the Old Testament follows God's one great plan of the history and redemption. And that plan is not only from Him, but its focus is on Him. So hopefully I encourage you, bring your kids, bring your grandkids every Sunday as we look through the Old Testament. Because often, many churches have done this. They go through the Old Testament and they use this like, well, here's a story about being faithful, which is there. Here's a story about being moral. And here's a story about... the And they focus more on behavior... Instead of God. He's the focus. He's the focus. Christ is the theme of the Old Testament and all of Scripture. He's not on every word. Some people will see this in about three weeks from now. He's not in every word there. He may not be in every paragraph, although those paragraphs will point us to God. We can't force him there as they did in the middle ages the theme of god's great love and salvation can be found on every page sure we can learn about theology sure we can learn about ethics sure we can learn about morality but the main story is god's great plan of salvation found in jesus christ and that's what scripture is about 
And to ignore Leviticus is to miss out on the beauty of Jesus. To ignore maybe part of um, Ecclesiastes or Ezekiel. Oh, it's too long and boring. Numbers, we've got to read through that. To miss out on that is to miss out on a part of what we can learn about God. And our method of seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. How will we be doing this? I'll explain this in three weeks from now. The proper way, I believe, of how doing this. To study the Old Testament and to miss Christ is to miss the overall intended meaning of Scripture. Jesus even rebuked the religious people of His day. They would study Scriptures and they missed out. So take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. If you have a Bible, great. If you don't, there's one in front of you. And I got to grab one of those here for today. It's on page 864. John chapter 5. Here Jesus is talking. He does some great amazing stuff and the religious leaders of the day are going, uh, that's not the proper way to do healing. And Jesus is like, wait a second. In his mind he's thinking, number one, do you know who I am? Number two, you're so bound up in the law that you've missed God in all of this and your focus has become so legalistic you're missing the beauty of salvation. What God has done. Take a look at verse 39. He says this to them. You study the Scriptures diligently. Now, think about this. When Jesus mentions Scriptures, He's not talking New Testament writings. Those haven't been written yet. Scriptures are all Old Testament. You study the Scriptures that testify... Oh, sorry, I, I jumped ahead here. You study the Scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life. Again, they're so caught up going, you know what, we're going to abide by these 613 laws and that's how I have life. I love this. These are the very Scriptures that testify about Me. Yet you refuse to come to Me to have life. Jesus just says, all of these Scriptures, take a look at my Bible, all of this Old Testament, all of this testifies about Him. Christ is in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is testifying, pointing to Jesus. So here Jesus condemns those people who study the Scriptures and miss out on Jesus. So I'm excited that we get to take two years to learn to see the beauty of Jesus in the Old Testament. So let's begin our journey by looking at the first chapter of the Bible. It's going to be pretty easy for you to find if you don't know much about the Bible. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis means beginnings. And what we're going to do is 
and I've said this before, we're not going to go through every chapter of the Bible. There's, there's many things we're just going to cruise through, not because it's not important, but our main focus will be looking at Christ in the Old Testament. He fulfills over 300 different prophecies. Some people have pointed to 700 different parts of the Old Testament where there's Jesus. Can you see him right there? Because they look at the New Testament, and the New Testament says, look, there was Jesus in the rock when the water was coming out. What? We didn't know that. So we're not going to stop at all 700. You know my preaching. We'd be here for years. I used to think Genesis chapter 1 and 2 was about creation versus evolution. When I was in high school, I went to my science class with my Bible, had my Schofield Bible with me, and the teacher went on the chalkboard and started talking about evolution, then put creation and scratched it out and said, these guys are fools. And I was like, what? Gratefully, I turned to chapters 1 and 2. I contended for the faith. I used to think that Genesis 1 and 2 were all about this battle, about God creating versus those who don't believe in creation. Really, Genesis 1 and 2 is not about science. And we have nothing to fear from true science. Because true science is affirmed in this book. The first five books were written by Moses. Why was he writing this stuff? He wasn't there at creation. But why did he begin writing this as he did? Well, number one, he was inspired by God. But we need to look at where the people are at, the children of Israel. What did they need to learn? And why did they need to learn what is disclosed in chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis? They are surrounded by real paganism. A real degrading culture which needed to be avoided by them. Did I just say then or today? Right? Today we are surrounded by such a culture. One day I look at the news and go, awesome! Then the next time I turn the next page, horrific! Last week we celebrated just the sanctity of life and I was so excited and then I heard about New York. I wanted to throw up disgusting so Moses is writing to a people surrounded by a culture in the days of Moses the world is filled with many pseudo gods small g and I'll use pseudo gods or false gods because as we go through the Old Testament we're going to find out that there is only one God these pseudo gods are all around them and there's this deep call of God in the Old Testament to say loyalty only to me. It's the word worship over there. Loyalty only to me. Obey me. There's only one true God, Yahweh. And they needed to know and experience the real story of God. We think of our kids. We want to protect them from that which is dangerous out there. And right now in this world, there are different ideologies and philosophies that are so dangerous we want to protect our kids. Here's Moses writing. He wants to protect the children of God so they can know and experience the real story of God. Genesis is not just about a bunch of names and dates. 
which we can memorize and get that all down. Some great interesting stories. These true stories and true events are a real understanding of God entering into history and giving us insight about Himself. So Genesis 1 and 2 isn't about science versus um, um, evolution versus creationism. This is about God. What must we know about God? So I wrote this down. Genesis is given to them and to teach us today about the foundation of life. God Himself. And the Bible begins with the essential element. The real story of who God is and what He is like. Knowing how God initiated the world helps me in my understanding, in my own relationship with God Himself. And when you take God out of the picture, no wonder people come up with the assumptions they think as New York has done with the unborn children. God must be in the picture. So Genesis chapter 1. Take a look at the first verse here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Look at the next one. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. I want to unpack four thoughts today as we look at this first part of Genesis. Number one, God is the Creator of all things. That's something we as Christians, and in theory, most people, when they look outside, they should go, there is a Creator. God is a Creator of all things. We notice here, look at this in the first part, it was formless and void. Darkness was around. Now, for us, we go, okay, that, that's great. There's some just spirits hovering over the waters. Okay, this, what, what is this about? But for them in this time period, for those that Moses is writing to, formless, void, darkness, the waters, that's a very, very scary place. We have ships made of steel that can float, aircraft carriers. To us, okay, the waters aren't too bad. But to them back then, that's dangerous. It's terrifying. For pagans and those living at the time, the world was a scary place, especially the waters. In a lot of the old writings, because they feared that semi-gods lived in the depths and these creatures and they stayed away from the waters because that's where you drown people could swim maybe but out deep it's dangerous but notice how it says the spirit is governing over all all of that god is the creator even though it's formless and void he is still in charge of the universe so Moses is writing, and the main thing that people need to know is God is a creator, and He is in charge. He's in charge of all things. He's not part of creation. It, creation, came about by His word and command. Then He brought order into creation. Darkness must be dispelled. 
disorder must be ordered. And God, the Creator, with His creation, made order and harmony. And in creation we see the ordering of God because He is the God of order and beauty. So I wrote this down. The first act of God in the theater of God is the act of creating, ordering, and sustaining all things visible and invisible to bring fame and glory to His name. Creation was not because God was bored. Here's God, the triune God, sitting in eternity going, we're bored, let's make creation so we have something. No. It's not though He needed something outside of Himself. He Himself was complete. It was not an accident. It wasn't though, well, God created and and included some accident stuff to happen and slowly kind of evolved out of that. No. It was out of His love, as we will see. I love how G.K. Chesterton said this, the whole difference between construction and creation is exactly this. A thing constructed can only be loved after it's constructed. But a thing created is loved before it exists. God, out of His own imagination, created eagles. Created giraffes. Why in the world? I don't... Wow! He created little dust mites. He created massive bucks, right? He created these amazing things. He created a kingfisher. And for the Christian to study creation is a great opportunity to read the Bible and take the natural world and see what its main purpose and focus is. The main purpose of why God created the world is for His glory. For His glory. And I've mentioned this before. I would say one of the greatest books I've ever read in my top ten, if not top five, was by Jonathan Edwards. He wrote a treatise called The End for Which God Created the World. It's for His glory. The Bible tells us who, why, and how, and when creation happened. And I encourage you, we don't have it in the bulletin yet, but February 25th, we're going to have after Sunday, we're going to have at 1 o'clock, we're going to have a time to talk about creation. John Peterson has studied this a lot, so he's going to share on creation and some of the things, and maybe you have kids that go to school, maybe you have co-workers that day, well, there's evolution, evolution is totally real, and creation has no truth or no valid claims. I encourage you, February 25th, 1 o'clock here in the sanctuary, we're going to talk about creation and God's work in it. All of this was created with the climax of what? Man. We're not going to take time going through all the different days of creation here. But the main focus within creation and those created elements was man. And unfortunately today, many believe that we're here just by chance. Oh, you're not really created. You're just here by chance. You're here by accident. God is the author of all things. And if we get a proper understanding that God created you 
in His image. There is such dignity that can arise. He's the author of life, the author of history, and the completer of life, and the completer of history. So number one, God created all things. Now let's look at Christ the Creator. We're looking at this concept of Christ in the Old Testament. Is Christ even here? Here's what I found interesting as I've studied creation. I read about it in the Old Testament, but creation is mentioned in the New Testament. And it's interesting that often the New Testament writers, when they talk about creation, they immediately talk about Jesus and that creation happened through Him, by Him, for Him. Creation's there, but they talk about Jesus right away. We often talk about creation in scientific terms because we need to have apologetic understanding of creation, which is great. But in the New Testament, when they talk about creation, they don't talk about it in scientific terms. They talk about it in personal terms. And they talk about Jesus. The God of creation found here is the same as the one found in John chapter 1. So quickly turn to John chapter 1. Genesis 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. John chapter 1 speaks in the same type of language, but as we will see here, it speaks of Christ. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. Notice how it's capitalized there. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Look at verse 14. The Word who was at creation, who was there in the beginning, the One who was creating all things, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the One and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. The beauty of this is this. In the first verse of the Bible, there was Jesus. Isn't that amazing? All things were created by Him. From Him. Or let's go to Colossians. This is one of my favorite ones here. Colossians. Just go to the part where Ephesians is kind of falling out of your Bibles. Colossians. Chapter 1. Colossians 1.15. Here, Paul is writing to a group of people who want to kind of separate the spiritual world and the physical world. And to their mindset, the physical world is just bad, but the spiritual world is only good. And they've got some messed up 
theories and bad doctrines. So he's writing. And he begins by making it clear who Jesus is. I'd encourage you, if you ever get in arguments or discussions about Scripture and stuff, always bring it to Jesus. Always bring it to Jesus. So Paul says this, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. This is great. The Son, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. Here it is. For in Him all things were created. Things in heaven, things in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things have been created. It said in Him and now through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Jesus was the co-creator within the Trinity. And of all things, He's the agent of creation. In Him, through Him, and by Him, creation. And Jesus is Lord over all of creation. Lord over all things. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Here, God is creating different elements of the different days. And in February, I think John will probably cover parts of different creation, different days, and talk about the word day and and all these things we should really know about. Look at verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our own image, in our own likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals and the large bucks. Oh, sorry, that's not in there. And over all the creatures that move on the ground. What sometimes troubled those in the Old Testament was this concept that Elohim is plural. Let us create, but there's one God. We'll see this as we go through the Old Testament. This story of the drama and the drama of redemption is progressive. At first, they couldn't piece it together. At first, you can't really see Christ there, but the sooner you get and closer you get to the New Testament, you begin to see this being unfolded. This us is speaking of Christ. Let us create. He was there in creation. Christ is in the first chapter of the Bible. He's found in the first verse of the Bible. Verse 26, He's found throughout this creation story because all things were created by Him, through Him, and in Him. Point number three, within creation, God has special interest in man. Let's make man in our own image, after our own likeness, it says there. You are not special because you're an accident. You're special because you're created in the image of God. It's a foundation we must stand on. And this image distinguishes us from the rest of created material. Unfortunately, in our world today, people are bringing us to the same as animals, the same as creation. We don't have that value. That's wrong. 
We have great value because we're created in the image of God. We're created in the image of God. Notice as we go through, if you read through chapter 1, it says, God created this in its own likeness. So, animals will create animals that are in that likeness, right? Apple trees will keep having apples in its own likeness. God creates in His... Let us create, notice the change, in our likeness. After His kind. We are the image of God in personhood, in communion, in responsibility, in dignity, in value, in suffering, and in freedom. We have great value. He is not only the Creator, He is also personally making Himself with us to have relationship. Capable of relating with Him in a special way. This is the God of Genesis. Powerful and personal. Again, Moses is writing these things down because people are being surrounded by this culture that's teaching something wrong about pseudo-gods. Our God is powerful. The other ones have no power. And our God is personal. Let me end with this. We could take time going, yeah, Christ is there. Oh, how cool. We shouldn't talk about creation mainly in scientific terms, but in personal terms like the New Testament does. And let me end with this. Lastly, Christ is also the one who brings recreation. The notion of creation doesn't stop in chapter 2. You can read chapters 1 and 2 and go, oh, creation, great. Let's go on with the rest of it. You've got fall, redemption. We see, and we'll see this next week, that because of sin, we need recreation. We need to be brought anew. And this new creation is only made possible through the work of Jesus Christ. Not only was Jesus the agent of creation, He's the agent of redemption that brings about our recreation, being born again. So let's go to 2 Corinthians. Turn here if you can. 2 Corinthians. If you have one of the pew Bibles that we have here, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Page 9. 38. If you have a Bible like this, if not, it's on a different page. Wouldn't it be nice if all the Bibles had the same pages? Second Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 17. Just as God brought harmony and order in His power over the created world, Jesus does the same in your life. He brings harmony and order. Let's start with verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here all of this is from god who reconciled us to himself through 
Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Creation's grand and wonderful. It brings glory to Him. Your life has been damaged by sin. And God's work in your life to make you anew, to bring new creation to your life so you can have life is wonderful. I love how Jonathan Edwards says this in his writing, The History of Redemption. The earth was created to be a stage upon which this great and wonderful work of redemption should be transacted. This is all about knowing God so that you could worship and obey Him. And Jesus is the agent who does that. Amen? How appropriate would it be for us as we read Genesis 1-1 to celebrate His created work in my life by redeeming me, by taking that which was dead and done with under the wrath of God and celebrating the new created heart that I have for Him. Amen?